This is the Horse Radio Network. This is episode 731 of Horse Tip Daily. A different horse tip, a different equine topic, a different equestrian expert every day. Horse Tip Daily brings the world of equine knowledge to you one day at a time. Today's tip is brought to you by Kentucky Performance Products. Greetings, horse people. Coach Jen here, and thanks for tuning in to Horse Tip Daily. Today's tip is an excerpt from the Horses in the Morning Show, Episode 63. The Horse.com digital editor Christy West joins the Hit'em Gang, along with Milt Toby, with some great business advice for anyone thinking about starting a horse rescue. But first, let's hear from our sponsor, Kentucky Performance Products. Spooky, tense, edgy, unfocused... If these words describe your horse, a calming supplement could make training easier and riding more fun. Trouble-free paste from Kentucky Performance Products is scientifically formulated to support proper nervous system function and help your horse maintain a more confident, focused, and relaxed disposition. Trouble-free contains a blend of ingredients that support your horse's normal nerve cell and muscle function and is available in a convenient 80cc oral dosing syringe containing two 40cc servings. Ask for trouble-free from Kentucky Performance Products at your local feed and supply store or go to www.kppusa.com. And now, on with today's tip. And it is time, of course, for our weekly horse health report. And uh, Christy is going to be on with us. And this is for all of you, you know, people with really big hearts and maybe some small pocketbooks that want to start a horse rescue. (laughs) Do I have it right, Christy? Yes, you do. (laughs) Yes, you do. uh, Go ahead, yeah. (laughs) <laughs> well, before we get started, I did want to say that I totally hear you on hanging all your ribbons up in the bedroom on your wire, because I did that too. <laughs> and the other thing I have to say is that since I grew up showing saddlebreds, you guys sound really boring with your clothing. <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I think, you know, most of the crowd I was running with was a little bit closer to Glenn's side of this one, so I, I just wanted to say that. <laughs> My leisure suit is looking good. That could be my, hey, that could be my uh, mafia name, Jamie. Glenn, the leisure suit. <laughs> Glenn, the leisure yeah, suit. Leisure suit, leisure suit Larry over here with uh, his style. <laughs> Perfect. Well, we wanted to talk a little bit, you know, normally we focus pretty exclusively on horse health care, but we do have some topics on our website relating to the business aspect of horse care and farm management and things like that. And one thing, we talked a little bit about uh, rescuing horses uh, recently, and I wanted to talk a little bit about the business aspect of that with uh, Milt Toby, who was with us on that discussion as well. And uh, Milt has a, has a couple of suggestions for people who are thinking about uh, starting up rescues, not just, you know, rescuing one horse or whatnot, but, you know, you see a real need for a new rescue in your area, some things that think about to make sure that you're successful and Milt take it away you had a number one thing that you wanted to start with I believe well the first thing that I think people need to think and I also want to emphasize that we're not trying to discourage people from starting rescues because clearly there's a need for that everywhere but if the rescue fails you become more of the problem and less of the solution and I think the first thing that a person needs to ask themselves is are you the person who needs to set up a rescue It's a fundamental question that I think a lot of people ignore because they're very kind-hearted, they're very big-hearted, they want to help. But a lot of times, I think the money that you would put into your own rescue might be better spent supporting um, an established rescue in the area. 
you know, people may not want to hear that, but that often is the best use of funds. So I think the first question is, am I the best person to do this? And everything else that happens is going to depend on that answer. And, how, and what, how, what helps you answer that question? I think there are a couple of things. One is whether there is an actual need for another rescue in your community or your area. You know, sometimes there is, sometimes there isn't. But the real issue, I think, is have I got enough money to get started? It's very easy to see an abused or neglected horse or horses and think I need to take these in or because nobody else is going to do it. But you always need to think that a rescue, no matter how charitably minded it is, still is a business, and it has to be operated like a business. And if you can't run it as a business, I think it will eventually fail. You know, the Small Business Administration says that 90% of small businesses that fail, fail because they don't have enough startup money. And I think that would apply to rescues as well. So you first need to look at your capital. And you're not so likely to get a loan for a charitable organization from the bank, yes? I think that was very unlikely in the past, and I think it's almost impossible with the economic situation right now. A rescue has no way to make a profit, so a banker loaning money to a rescue is basically donating it with the hope that they'll get it back. There isn't a profit incentive or a profit motive at all, so banks just aren't going to buy that. That doesn't mean you shouldn't do all the business planning you would do ordinarily if you were looking for a loan, though. That's what lets you know whether this is a good financial idea for you or not. And you touched a little bit on the fact that it wasn't going to make a profit. And um, as a lot of people are probably already aware, there is a, a, a nonprofit status termed uh, 501c3 in this country that allows donations to your organization to be tax deductible. How do you go about getting 501c3 status? Because, I mean, surviving on donations is about how you're going to have to survive with the rescue. Yeah, that's a really good point, Christy. And, and it really is a survival on donations. You're relying on the charity of others to support your charity. And a lot of people are not going to donate unless they can take a tax deduction. And a lot of foundations won't donate money to an organization unless it's tax deductible as well. And the only way you do this is you file with the IRS to become a, what's called a 501c3 organization. <clears throat> and the way this works, you have to incorporate in your home state first. You have to become a corporation, and it's a tax-exempt corporation status at the state level. This is fairly easy doesn't cost very much. The next step is you get a tax identification number. And this is really important because it separates the business part from your personal assets, and you want to protect your personal assets as best you can. Then finally, you wind up filing a very lengthy, very complicated form with the IRS requesting 501c3 status. Once you get the status, then donations to your charity become tax deductible, and you become much more viable as a, as a fundraiser. But the, the process is very long. The last 501c3 I set up wasn't for a rescue specifically. It was for a veterinarian friend in Michigan who was trying to set up a foundation to help working ponies in Cambodia and Thailand. And it took us a year and a half between the time we got it filed and the time we finally got approval. So that's a period of time when you'll be getting some donations but not as many. And you need to plan for that when you're putting your business plan together. And let me ask you... How much did it cost as far as attorney's fees goes, if you don't mind us asking? I don't mind asking. I, I donated the attorney fees because this was a, a very close personal friend and because I believed in the cause. I would have charged at least $1,000, maybe more. 
It's simpler okay. if you're starting from scratch. If you have an established business that you're trying to convert into a 501c3, there's a whole lot more paperwork. If you have a clean slate, it's easier. But the, the filing fees are also pricey. If you're expecting to get more than $10,000 a year in donations, the initial filing fee is $750. If you're expecting to get less than $10,000 a year in donations, the filing fee is $300. But if you're not getting $10,000 a year in donations, that's not going to be a whole lot of help for your rescue. So it's time-consuming and it's, it's relatively expensive. And a lot of people can't afford to start the process to allow them to make money in donations. So it's, it's sort of a vicious circle. So we talked a little bit about having a year's worth of operating costs in the bag before you get started. Uh, just for fun, uh, Jamie, Glenn, Jennifer, any of you guys, what what would you estimate it's costing to keep a horse these days where you are? So we're in different parts. Um, I would say it costs me about $200 a month per horse. Okay. And that's having my own property. Right. At, at home. Yeah. Um, here in, in Lexington, Kentucky, you can about quadruple that if you're going to keep them at home, <laughs> just because of the price of land. Um, but you you really can't board a horse around here for uh, less than $300 a month by the time you, because you have to pay for a lot of your own stuff. Yeah. And this, this is for a healthy horse, correct? It's for a horse. Oh, yeah. Um, he's, yeah. He's healthy. He's normal. He gets his feet shod. He gets normal, boring shots and maybe goes to a couple of horse shows a year. Yeah. And with a rescue, you're going to be dealing with an abused horse, a neglected horse. So the, the cost is going to go up. Yes. So that's something else to keep in mind when you say, you know, how much do you need to get started? Let's say you're planning a rescue with five horses, just to throw out a rough number. If we take uh, Jamie's number of 200 bucks a year per horse for a healthy horse, you're talking $2,400 a year per horse just in cost or, <clears throat> excuse me, you know, and, and a good bit more than that when you start multiplying horses, much higher, of course, in Lexington, going to vary a lot based on where you are. And then when you add all the vet bills into that, you know, you, you're going to have to be able to buy buy a new farm, basically, with what you have right. to yeah. for a rescue. On that same note, Mel, question for you, and, and probably Christy, you can put onto this, too. When you start a rescue, I'm guessing that many people who start rescues start them because they want to save the animal from a bad situation. First, you save the animal. But the second half of the equation is eventually you have to find somebody else who would responsibly privately home that horse. You adopt it out. Because if all you do is save them all the time, the collection never ends. Um, because if all you were going to do is take in horses and save them, you could do that pretty economically. You turn them out in the pasture and you care for them economically. You can do that very inexpensively. But you can only collect so many. So I think you're, you're really right on track here talking about the cost because the cost of running a facility where you can not only take in the animal and make him healthy, but provide the public with the ability to adopt him back out again, that's where you run into some serious dollars. Yeah, that's a For really sure. good point. That's a very good point because the, the first step is rescuing the horse from, as you say, a, a worse situation. But if you can't guarantee that you're going to continue to improve the situation over the horse's life or until you adopt him out, then I think you're doing a disservice to the animal. And, and you're right. The, the paperwork and the, the work in getting a horse adopted out and you know, getting the word out, you're dealing with the paperwork, dealing with the, the, 
you know, you want to investigate. You want to make sure that you're adopting the horse out to somebody who's a reliable person. That, that's expensive and it's time-consuming and it requires people. And again, you, you're depending on volunteer help a lot, and sometimes volunteer help isn't the best option. Sometimes you actually need to pay somebody to do it, and this is another outlay. You're way beyond the, the cost of right. caring for the yeah. horse. That's interesting. I was just talking to the folks over at Rerun yesterday about some things, and that was very much at the forefront of their thought process anytime they do anything is, A, get the word out so people know there's animals for adoption, and B, you take the animal in and you make him healthy, but that's not good enough for your average adopter. Most people who want to adopt a horse need more than a horse that's, okay, he's healthy, that's it. He needs to have some kind of basis, just like when you adopt a dog at the kennel, or at, the, at the dog pound, if you know he's leashed trained, if you know he's at least partially housebroken, that animal's going to find a home much, much faster than the one under um, other on his little cart on the front of his kennel says, we don't know anything. He's exactly. not too likely to get adopted out. Exactly. When you're thinking of adopting horses, the more you can do to make life easier on the person who's adopting the horse, the more likely you are to, to find someone to do it, and that takes work. It does take work. It takes, it takes less than keeping them for long periods of time yourself, though. <laughs> and, you know, it, it, I've not adopted a horse from a rescue, but just uh, back to the financial aspect, I recently adopted a dog last year, and turns out he's perfectly healthy, but he has a, a heart murmur that was, that was cause for concern when they took him into the rescue. And they probably spent, they spent a little over $1,000 getting this dog checked out with the, with the vet and then taking him out to the university hospital and then doing a telemedicine consultation and all that. And turns out, as they say, something else should be what kills him. But... That was a lot of money they spent. You know, the adoption fee that I paid to them doesn't come anywhere near covering that. So, again, just remember, your, you know, rescue is basically a money outgoing business without those donations. So I think, as Milt said, having, sometimes having volunteer people to help is, is not always the best thing. You may need to hire somebody to get the word out about those horses and be constantly working the donations coming in so that you can stay afloat. Yeah, public relations, I think, is often the hardest part of a horse rescue. And it's usually the one, the, the part that people don't want to do because you want to be out there with the horses. That's why you're starting the rescue. Yeah, one of the things that I always suggest to people, well, two things really. When you're setting your, up your business plan, you want to talk to other horse rescues in your area to get some idea of how much it's costing them. And in the process, it's a good idea to volunteer with them and find out what is really involved in the day-to-day -day, you know, aspects of running a rescue. It, it isn't all glamorous and saving horses. There's a whole lot of hard work involved, and, and I'm not sure if some people realize that when they get started. They may not, and we talked a little bit about having a business plan and making sure that, uh, that you're going to be able to do this as well after you get some of that initial information from your local rescues. Milt, do you have any tips for us on setting up a good business plan? You need to think and anticipate as best you can every expense you're going to have. You know, there's going to be expenses associated with the rescue of the horse itself, there's going to be probably labor costs, there's going to be utilities, there's going to be feed, you know, grain and hay, there's going to be insurance. Uh, depending on your state, even if you have volunteer workers, you may be required to have workers' comp compensation insurance, which is very expensive. You need to plan for that sort of thing. You just need to put together a spreadsheet that says, this is what I expect to go out over the next year in the next two years, the next three years, whatever, and this is what I expect to come in. And initially, the total on the going out column is going to be a whole lot higher than the total on the coming in column. And nope, nope. Can I add to that? 
Yeah, can I say, having run big farms and stuff before and being a horse husband all these years, you take those initial numbers, and then after you're done and they all look good, you double them, and then you have a real number. I think that's probably reasonable because there will always be something that you don't anticipate. There will be you know, five starving horses that suddenly you have to take in that you hadn't planned for. Or, and hey, you know, there's no rain and hay goes through the roof and it's all of a sudden five times, you know, what it was before. And, you know, just the farrier needs to come out because now they have abscesses all over the place because it's too wet. You know, it just goes on and on and on. Yeah. And one of the essential parts of the business plan is you need to decide up front how many horses you can deal with. You know, a lot of times right. people start without any thought of where the, the cutoff point is. And unless you've got a cutoff point, the, you know, the planning you're doing is almost useless. But you also need to ask yourself, am I going to be able to say 10 is the most horses I can take, and if somebody offers me number 11, I'm going to say no. That's really hard for people who are in the rescue business. But it's a decision um, that you have to make if it's going to be a viable operation. It's funny you guys are talking about this right now because my husband, you know, the, the A-type personality, you know, math major in college, uh, has made me start keeping a list of my finances, and, and it's called Flyover Farm Finances. And because I'm teaching lessons out here, I'm like, we're doing great. I'm in the black every month. And then he's making me write down everything I spend. And <laughs> I'm like... Wait, I have to write down the money that I spent on the new bridle, and I have to write down the money that I spent on the blankets for the horses, but it was cold out. And then, wait, supplements count too? I was just going with hay and grain. And then, wait a second, you're going to make me write down the gas money that I used to take my horse on a horse, <laughs> to a horse show? No, that's not fair. Now I'll sit him in the red because I thought I was doing so great, and, uh, yeah, not so much, apparently. So you're right. <laughs> you have to write down everything and then double it because, my gosh, he's, well, he's just plain mean about it. He makes me write down everything. <laughs> <laughs> But, oh. but that raises an interesting point. In addition to your planning, you have to keep up with this as the process goes along. You need to, to keep mm -hmm. a record. You don't want to go into your accountant at the end of the year on April the 14th with a shoebox full of receipts. They hate that. But you, you still have to do all the accounting that you would have to do in a business. There just isn't the money coming in. So it's, there's a lot of work and a lot of complication that people don't realize. Absolutely. And you know what, Milt, where can people get a hold of you if they want to find out more information? Uh, I've got a website. I, they can contact me through that. It's actually a website for my writing and speaking. But yeah, I'm not actually soliciting clients through this at all. Because no, of course not. But my time writing. people but, yeah, may have I'm questions. I'm happy to answer questions for people. Uh, the, the website is www.miltoncetoby.com. Okay. Okay. We'll right. put a link well, to that in our show notes too. Yeah. But but again, I, I do want to emphasize this isn't an advertisement. I'm not soliciting clients. My my malpractice carrier would get upset about that. Okay. <laughs> Absolutely. Okay. Well, then we will link to your website, and people can just go to thehorse.com and find your blog. Um, yeah, it's horses and the law. Uh, the blog on thehorse.com, and and you guys, unfortunately, as always, we're running out of time. We could keep going about this forever. But again, Milt, thanks so much for joining us again. I know I talked to you a, month, a couple months ago, and and Christy, as always, thank you for bringing us all all the information that's real and that we need to hear, and that yeah, whatever. I guess I should hear too. <laughs> <laughs> Having been self-employed.
Yes. And having been self-employed for a period of time, I can completely feel all your pain on keeping track of all your expenses <laughs> for tax purposes. I hate it. I thought I was doing so good. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks, thanks as always for having us on. Do check out our blog. Do check out uh, the, our adoption and welfare articles on thehorse.com. And, Glenn, I hope you enjoyed yet another blood-free show. Well, there you go. If you want more tips on running your horse business, you can stop by horsetipdaily.com and go to the category drop-down menu on the left side of the page. If you love listening to the Horses in the Morning gang putting in their two cents on horse business topics, you can tune in to Horses in the Morning at horsesinthemorning.com for your daily fix of up-to-the-minute horse health information, along with news stories and great interviews. You can also go to thehorse.com, where you'll find a motherload of horse health information, along with great other stuff. Today's podcast has been brought to you by Kentucky Performance Products. Ask for Kentucky Performance Products, like trouble-free calming paste at your local tack and feed supplier, or you can purchase them online at kppusa.com. Please stop by the Horse Tip Daily Facebook page and let us know what you think of the tips you hear on the show. It's also a great place to tell us about topics you'd like to hear us cover on the show. You can subscribe to all the great shows on the Horse Radio Network through iTunes or Zune and get your horse podcasts automatically downloaded to your iPod, Zune, or MP3 player. You can also listen to the shows right on Facebook. The player's right there every day. I'll be back again tomorrow with another new expert and a different horse tip. Until then, go ride your horse! The Horse Radio Network and the Horse Radio Network hosts are not responsible for statements of guests or their opinions. Use your own judgment when listening to the tips provided by the experts on Horse Tip Daily.